Jenna Fisher. And I'm Angela Kinsey. We were on The Office together. And we're best friends. And now we're doing the ultimate Office rewatch podcast just for you. Each week, we will break down an episode of The Office and give exclusive behind-the-scenes stories that only two people who were there can tell you. We're The Office Ladies. Hello. Hey. Look at you, lady. Look at me? Yes, I'm looking at you. I'm happy to see your face. I'm wearing a new shirt. You are. Mm-hmm. I'm getting into the button downs. Finally. Can I just say finally? Why? Welcome. Because I love a button down. Oh. And now you're in the button down club. I am. It's a wonderful place. Just wait till those flannel button downs come into play. Woo-hoo-hoo-hoo. I can't wait. I know. Well, today we're going to talk about The Boat. It is season nine, episode six, written by Dan Sterling and directed by John Krasinski. Do you know what the alternate title for this episode was? I'm going to guess. Okay. I don't know. I'm going to guess. Ah, ah, ahoy! No. No, not okay. It was Andy's exit. Oh. You know, because he leaves. He goes away in this episode. Once again, Andy just leaves without giving any notice. He did this when he went to Florida. What the heck? Yes, and yet he's still the best candidate for manager. I just want to say Daryl's never gone anywhere. No. Daryl has been there. Mm -hmm. He hasn't started a business with a friend on the side. He isn't also running a beet farm and owning the building. I mean, I feel like if we could have anyone's complete focus as manager, Daryl is our candidate. And time and time again, he has great ideas. Yep. Well, here is your summary for the boat. Following a series of poor decisions by Mr. Bernard, the Bernard family finances are in ruin. Andy attempts to salvage things by selling the family boat. He's very sad, though, because he'd always dreamed of sailing it one day. hmm Dwight is tricked into thinking he's being interviewed on the radio. And finally, the burden of keeping Oscar's affair with the senator a secret falls squarely on Kevin's shoulders. Kevin of all people. Mm-hmm. I loved this I particular storyline. I loved it so much. All right. Fast fact number one is a location breakdown. We got a fan question from Abby V in Knoxville, Tennessee, who said, where did you film the scenes with Aaron and Andy on the boat? Whose boat was it? Please tell us everything. Well, Abby V, because of Steve Burgess, I've got these answers for you. We shot these scenes in Santa Monica at the Windjammers Yacht Club. We got the boat through our Marine coordinator. He was a guy named Mike George. He was also a friend of our first AD, Kelly Cantley, because, you know, she sails boats. Yeah. Steve Burgess said that it was so perfect that she was the first AD for this episode. She really helped us with the boat stuff, particularly the parts where the boat had to be moving. So I reached out to Kelly to ask her more specifics about this episode. She was wonderful. So much detail. You want to hear it? I do. She said that we scouted a few available boats, and we had a very specific criteria. We needed a boat that was big enough where we could shoot down below but also small enough that Ed could actually sail it by himself, that it would be realistic. Yeah. We also needed it to look luxurious enough for the Bernard family to have owned it. She said we rented a boat from a yacht broker, 
And this boat technically could not have been in Andy's family since before he was born, but it was a pretty good match for ones of that time. So I guess a little bit of a cheat there. Mm -hmm. I wonder if there's some like boat people out there who saw that when they saw the episode, they were like, there's no way that's been in their family that long. That's a new boat. A hundred percent. Because if you're a boat person, you know everything about boats. Mm -hmm. Kind of like you and trains. (laughs) I don't know everything about trains. I just like trains. But let me tell you, the fun person to sit at like a dinner party is someone that like loves boats or Oh, I beg to differ. Are perhaps hummingbirds. I want to sit next to those people. I want to hear all your boat stories. Okay. Jenna does not. (laughs) I mean, maybe, maybe, maybe not. You know what? Jenna would do the nod. It's coming up in the whale in the next episode. You would be doing like the Dwight nod. Yes, I am listening. Mm -hmm. It's true. Kelly said this was not the only boat. We were a little bit like speed here. It's not that we had a bunch of different like main picture boats. We only had that one. We we had a lot of teen boats. We did not. But we had a lot of support boats. She said we had a support boat. They're so sweet. Yeah, little support boats. We had two pontoon boats for lighting Mm -hmm. the dock. And we had two inflatable ribs for camera and crew transfer. We had a seven-person Marine crew, a Marine coordinator, sailmasters, a lifeguard, and support boat drivers. So it was like a whole second Marine crew to pull off this episode. Yeah, it was like the main boat and his buddies. Exactly, lady. (laughs) And you know, of course, there were a ton of safety meetings. Oh, yes. There was a full-page safety memo. That went out to the cast and crew. Mm-hmm. It was extensive. It was so detailed. You and I both read it. And some of the things on there cracked me up. Oh, it's very funny. Wait, I want to share a few, okay? And then you yes. share some. Okay. So some of these safety measures, Jenna, just the way that they were listed and phrased cracked me up because it reminded me of a memo we might get from, like, a second-grade school teacher on what to do on a field trip. Yes, so much. Ready? Here were the three that really made me chuckle. Number one, number one on the list, use a lot of sunblock. hmm Number two, if you are feeling seasick, please let the medic know. Number three, if you need to throw up, please do so over the side of the boat and not in the boat. Yes. There were so many instructions for what to do should you might vomit. Well, what was interesting is it was very clear to me from this memo how protective they were of the boat. There were like three different ways that they told you not to ruin the boat. It was like, if you have to throw up, don't throw up in the boat. Throw up on the side of the boat. Yeah. And then a lot of mention of don't scratch the boat. Clip your radio to your body in such a way that it won't accidentally scratch the boat. Don't wear belt buckles because we don't want to scratch the boat. And I asked Kelly about it. I was like, Kelly, what is with these multiple instructions about not scratching the boat? And she said that the gel coat and wood trim on a boat is like very susceptible to scratches and dings. And the yacht broker who rented us the boat was watching us and we didn't want to have to pay for any repairs. 
So they were like telling everyone to be super duper duper careful. Protect the boat. Protect the boat at all costs, but also wear your sunblock. All right. Those are your boat facts, folks. Are you ready for fast fact number two? Yeah. Okay. There was a super amazing thing that was happening the week they were scouting this location. So they're out at the dock. They're looking at boats. Mm-hmm. And do you remember this moment in history, Angela? This is like Los Angeles history. The space shuttle Endeavor. Oh, yeah. Which they put on top of a 747 airplane because they were transporting it from Florida to the Los Angeles Science Center where it was going to be on display. It flew over their heads. So cool, right? Do you remember this? Of course. Everyone in Los Angeles was a buzz about this. You know, the part I remember is how once it landed at the airport, they mm-hmm. then had to get it all the way through the busy, narrow streets of Los Angeles to the giant, I don't know what you call it, the giant aircraft hangar where it now sits, where you can go with your kids. I was a chaperone for the year my daughter's school went. It was their trip in first grade, and we went and saw the space shuttle, and I was a chaperone. It's so So amazing. If you're in Los Angeles, you have to go see it. But the journey to get it there was so cool. It was so crazy, and I completely remember it. I looked it up. They had to temporarily remove or raise up traffic lights. Yes. They had to remove 400 trees along the side of the road to make room. But they pledged to replace each removed tree with four new trees. So I guess we got 1,600 trees in the end. But the thing that I remember is that at the time, my family was living up in the hills, and we had a big kitchen window, and we had made a makeshift changing station for my son in the kitchen. So if we were upstairs in the house, which is where the kitchen was, we could change him easily. You know, you do that. Yeah, yeah, sure. So I was changing him on this little changing table, and it flew past our window. That's so wild. And I went and I tried to grab my phone, but I didn't get it in time to take a picture. But I was like, oh, my God. And then, of course, it was crazy because a couple years later, I took him there so that he could see it. Yeah, it's a really great visit if you're in Los Angeles. You know, the other thing is if you go to see the space shuttle, they have this great, I don't know what you call it, like a mini documentary of getting it to... Yes. The the big aircraft hangar, what all it took, what all. Mm-hmm. And then how people like line the streets to see it. Yeah. And I remember it was like the evening news, like every day I'd be like, where is it now? Yeah. On the TV. Where is it now? I totally remember it. Wow. And that was going on during the prep of this episode. All right. Moving on to fast fact number three. Fan question from Logan B. in North Carolina and many other people wrote in about this as well. Logan said. I noticed that Andrew Santino is in this episode. His podcast is so funny, and I would love to hear about his time on the show. Yes, everybody. The grumpy sailor from the boat. (laughs) In the big sweater. (laughs) Yes, is actor and comedian Andrew Santino. He actually has two podcasts. He has Whiskey Ginger, where he interviews friends while they sip whiskey. Um, Hello. Yes. Hello. Give us a call. Yeah. Up for it. And he also has the podcast Bad Friends, which he co-hosts with Bobby Lee, who was my co-star on Splitting Up Together. 
what? We have a splitting up together crossover. We do. So I slid into Andrew's DMs. We haven't done that in a while, Ange. Did a little DM slide. I know. I know. And he was kind enough to respond. He sent us audio clips. They're very funny. I can't wait for you to share them. Of course, we had to ask him how did he get his job on The Office, and was he a fan of the show? Here's what he had to say. Allison Jones, who was the casting director, became a huge fan of mine from all my other failed auditions that I did for her. And she was like, I think I've got something perfect for you. It's a minimal amount of lines, but um, you have to look like a sloppy sailor in an oversized sweater. And I said, sign me up. That's perfect. And so, yeah, I did just audition and uh, I got it and I was extremely excited. It was like the first big job I had ever had on a massive network television show. And to answer the second question, of course, I was familiar with the show. I was a massive fan of the show. Uh, Being a stand-up comedian, I was a fan of the British office, the OG office. Do I think the American one is better? I don't know. That's not for me to say, but it is. But no, I like them both just the same. They're both very good, Um, but I was a, a huge fan. Good old Allison Jones, once again, finding us great people. I know. Mm-hmm. So I had to ask him, since this was one of his first jobs, what was it like for him to show up on set and be directed by John Krasinski and then be in a scene with this group of actors? Here's what he said. He was extremely mean and rude. He would throw stuff at us in between takes. If you messed up, he would yell at you. Um, he would give you intense stare downs. A very, very mean, rude man, and I will never work with him again. He was wonderful. He was really cool. And I I think I told him it was one of my first jobs, so he was really nice about it and was really easy to work with. And uh, Groban was on that one, the Grobsters. So it was cool. It was really fun, and he was really nice and easy. And to be honest, my scene wasn't too complex. So Smacking Ed Helms was about the depth of how far I needed to go. And Ellie was cool. Everyone was very nice to me. But truly, it was such a cool experience to have, like, that be my first debut on network television. So cool. The Grobster. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Is it just me, or does it sound like Andrew is driving down the freeway? He's it does the sound messages. like he's in motion. <laughs> like, I feel like he's running errands, answering our questions. I love it. I love it so much. Well, that's all I got, lady. Do you want to take a break? I do. And when we come back, I have something to share about some ice cream. Oh, okay. I love an ice cream share. We are back. And the first scene is Oscar. He's getting out of his car. It's early in the morning. And he asks the camera crew to follow him around back. He says to them, look, I know you saw me with the senator and, you know, I think I'm in love, possibly for the first time. And he really hopes that he can count on everyone's discretion. He wants to handle this properly when it's the right time. Yes. Guess who wanders up behind him? It's Kevin. And he's having his, I guess, morning ice cream behind the dumpster. His morning mint chocolate chip, which falls on the ground when he hears this news. And instantly, Oscar's like, oh, crap. He's like, why? Mm-hmm. <laughs> why are you here? Well, of course, this made me curious about ice cream in the morning. You know it did. And I've got a according to the internet for you. Oh, and <laughs> according to the whole internet. I can't you lo- wait. You love these. A study from Kirin University in Tokyo 
found that eating ice cream in the morning may improve alertness and mental performance. Wait, we need to let that land because you have basically just given everyone permission to start their day with ice cream, okay? I know. Ready? So a professor and his team analyzed the results of multiple clinical trials that measured brain activity after eating various foods in the morning. And according to the study, frozen foods, particularly ice cream, had an awakening effect on the brain. As a result, study subjects showed higher alertness and quicker response. At the same time, ice cream stimulated high-frequency alpha waves that serve as connectors between conscious thinking and subconscious mind and is responsible for calmness and relaxation. Consequently, the study subjects showed less mental irritability. It's like better than a cup of coffee in the morning, it sounds like. Get up, have your bowl of ice cream. It's going to wake you up. It's going to put you in a good mood. Mm -hmm. It's going to make you alert. I'm so sorry. Why has this study not been more widely publicized? (laughs) And who knew that Kevin was on to something? This is making me want to go eat some ice cream. I know. Thank you for that. According to the internet, Angela, I absolutely loved it. You're welcome. Well, this episode is going to open with Andy. He's in a meeting with some financial advisors. They're dealing with his family's financial crisis. Yeah, and he's doing a good job. He's like sort of like giving them orders. He's very direct, very focused. This cuts to a Jim and Pam talking head where they share that Andy's family is kind of in a meltdown. His dad spent all their money, fled to Argentina with a younger woman. His brother locked himself in the wine cellar. And here's the weirdest part. Andy is kind of crushing it. Yeah. Andy has a talking head where he says, yeah, the nards are hurting. The family is shattered. He's doing damage control. Only thing is he wishes dad could see him. But you know what? His dad caused this. So F him. Yeah, that's right. Nards are hurting is such a great phrase. Like, I feel like I want to say it like when I get up in the morning and I'm feeling a little creaky, like my nards are hurting. Can yeah, I say that? it works. It you works, right? Just go have a bowl of ice cream and then your nards yeah. will be better. Yeah, my nards are hurting. I need some ice cream. I thought this might be a good time to give you a weather report. Sure. <laughs> There's never a bad time. <laughs> I'm just, I'm on fire today. I'm like, according to the internet, weather report. All right. The week we filmed this episode, the high on set, which you know was in Van Nuys, California, was 100 degrees for multiple days in a row, triple digits. Wow. But the day we filmed the boat scenes in Santa Monica and Marina del Rey, the high was 77 degrees. That's why people live by the beach. I know. For reference, from our set door-to-door, I did a Google map. Okay. From Van Nuys to Marina del Rey, it's only 21.9 miles. But look at that temperature drop. I know. Yeah. I know. Also, a little something from the call sheet. Remember when we did work bus and they put the little bus like graphics on all the little call sheets? Yeah. On these call sheets, we have a little sailboat and some whales. See, I love when they did that stuff on the call sheets. I do too. Just getting creative, getting a little crafty. Yeah. Given some little icons. What do you call those? Little cartoons. Little cartoons. Everybody loves a cartoon. And these were in color. What? Yeah. They were just the cartoon was in color. The bus was black and white, but these guys were in color. Little blue whale, little sailboat. I'll have to put them in stories. 
Well, now we're going to go to our secret stairwell. This is where all of our most private conversations occur. Mm-hmm. It's the secret stairwell. The secret stairwell. It's where we talk about secrets. I loved Oscar in this scene. Oscar is phenomenal in this whole episode. He's so good. Brian, so too. So good. The two of them. Yeah. I love this pairing. Mm-hmm. Oscar is just pleading with Kevin, trying to reason with Kevin about this new knowledge that he has about the affair. Please, please keep it to yourself, Kevin. He says, I'm in love with the senator. Yeah. And I need time to sort this out in a responsible matter. And he says, it means the world to me, okay? And then I loved Brian's performance as Kevin. He says, that's beautiful. No, I totally get that. And then Oscar says, can you do this, Kevin? And Kevin says, I really want to. Whatever happens, always remember that. <laughs> oh, Oscar's in so trouble. Much. I know. Now we're about to start a new storyline that I absolutely loved. And Jenna, I don't know about you, but this episode, the next one, they're really reminding me of early days on The Office where there's some Dwight pranking, there's something happening over at accounting. It's like everybody, there's like lots of fun little storylines that remind me of the early days. Yeah, I love all of these little pairings that we're going to be getting in these episodes coming up. Yeah, it had a little Office Olympics to it, maybe. Yes, yes, exactly. Uh Uh-huh. So what's going on is Pam is going to get a phone call from the local radio station stating that Iris Black, host of the show Biz Wiz, wants to interview someone from Dunder Mifflin on air today. Dwight is so excited because Pam's like, "Who, who wants to talk to Iris? Here's what Dwight says. I want you to hear it because, hear me out, folks, I think it could be a great ringtone. Maybe, maybe we need to make this a ringtone. Can you play it for me, Sam? I do. 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 That would be such a great, like, (laughs) deep cut office fan ringtone. Right? Yes. That's what I thought, too. If I'm, like, at the grocery store and all of a sudden my phone goes off and you just hear, I do. I do. I do. Come on. Well, Dwight has a talking head where he explains that he's volunteering because this radio appearance could make him famous, and it's a lot easier to sell paper when you're famous. That's what's motivating him. Imagine all the paper Brad Pitt could sell. Yeah. Hi, it's Brad Pitt. Do you want some paper? Yes, I do. (laughs) Yes. I mean, I would probably buy paper from Brad Pitt. I mean, you know, if Keanu Reeves sold paper, I'd buy it. Well, there's your number one paper salesman right there. Come on, number one paper salesman. (laughs) Meredith is now going to approach Andy. You know, she heard about his good-looking single brother that's in a downward spiral with booze. Andy's like, you know what? He's in rehab. And then Meredith starts to flirt with Andy. And Andy's like, we're done here. Yeah. Meredith is trying to hit people when they're at their lowest. Yeah. Meanwhile, Dwight is annoying everyone with his preparation. For his interview, he's doing his speech exercises, his tongue twisters. Mm-hmm. I think we should hear it. Greta, the tittle-tattle, prattled on about the little metal oh bottle. God. She spat okay. a bit of spittle on the model brittle cattle in a bitter battle. <laughs> so I remember when we did the table read for this, this tongue twister was in the table read, and Rain nailed it. And then when we did it, when we were shooting it, he nailed it. 
And I was like, Rain, how are you doing that so well? That's why I wanted to play the clip, because Rain is so good at these tongue twisters. He said, Jenna, we did these in, like, theater school. He's like, I know all of them. I can do all of them. Not only does Rain say the one that we just heard, but as he's walking out, he says, Trisky Siskel flicked a biscuit in Nikki Six's sticky whiskers. Yeah, and he says it perfectly. Yeah, as if it's nothing. I know. Well, this, of course, made me curious about tongue twisters, y'all. Does the internet have something to say about them? <laughs> yeah, the internet does. I'm calling these, wait for it, tongue twister tidbits. I can't Come wait. On. Come on, who was on a roll? I don't know, but that's what she said. Okay. <laughs> okay. Did you know that every year on the second Sunday in November, it is International Tongue Twister Day? I did not. How do you celebrate? I'm glad you said that because they encourage you to celebrate this day and try some new tongue twisters. Oh. And let me tell you, there's lots of them on the internet. Mm-hmm. Here's another tongue twister tidbit. They were very popular in the 19th century, and the first book of tongue twisters was titled, are you ready for it? Okay. Peter Piper's Practical Principles of Plain and Perfect Pronunciation. <laughs> oh my God, I couldn't do it. <laughs> I bet Rain could do it. <laughs> Peter, okay. Peter Piper's Practical Principles of Plain and Perfect Pronunciation. Wow. It was published by John Harris in 1813. It contained a tongue twister for each letter of the alphabet on the model of Peter Piper picked a peck of pickled peppers. I'm not done. Here's my last tongue twister tidbit. You might wonder out there as you're listening, what is the most difficult tongue twister? Well, in 1974, and it was the last year the Guinness World Records tracked tongue twisters, the phrase that was deemed the most difficult to say Oh boy. was the sixth sick sheiks sith. <laughs> what are these words? I can't do it. Damn it. The sixth okay. sheiks? The, the, the sixth sick she. I'm going to, I. you get to say it. You know what? You get to say this one. Okay. The sixth Sick sheiks, sixth sheeps, sick. Hey, you're so good. So the sheik, uh huh. The sixth one is sick, sick, and so is his sixth sheep. They're both yeah, sick. They're both sick. And then more recently, in 2013, according to speech communication scientist from MIT, the most difficult tongue twister is. Pad kid poured curd pulled cod, which that one I have no problem with, which is I don't interesting. I know what that means. I don't know what it means either. So that tongue twister wasn't difficult for me to say. And I was curious, why was one harder for me than the other? And that led me to an interesting study on the science of why tongue twisters are difficult to say. I'm sorry, before you go on, I just have to say it. What? Is this a study that we needed, like, you know, <laughs> like in the world, in the world, like of all the studies we can do. And listen, I am super interested in studies. I love a study. OK, but I guess I'm just wondering, you know what I mean? Like, could you get rid of my cat allergy first? OK, fine. The part of it that was interesting to me is that they studied the neural codes and how your brain you know, identifies speech and the muscles that need to move your mouth and jaw to form words. And basically, 
Tongue twisters are hard because the representations in your brain greatly overlap. And I thought that was interesting. I take it back, everything I just said about the study. This sounds very important in the world of like speech, speech impediments, speech development. Yes. And and just learning how your brain translates speech. It's fascinating, actually, Jenna. But there you go. Those are my tongue twister tidbits for you. Well, Angela, I actually, I take it back. Everything about that study seems very important. It's about speech. It's about how speech works in your brain. I stand corrected. I mean, I loved it. I was riveted by it, Jenna. Riveted. I'm sorry I poo-pooed the study. <laughs> it's okay. You can unpoo-poo it. I unpoo-poo it. Okay. Now Andy is in the conference room with Aaron, Oscar, and Daryl. They were reviewing all of the assets that his father couldn't steal and are trying to figure out what to sell to take care of his mom. Yeah. And you know what? If he sold the boat to this potential buyer, it could cover the purchase of a condo and some living expenses. But Andy's like, no, too many memories. Yeah. What if we sold everything but the boat? Right. But that would only give her about six months of income. Mm-hmm. Andy did have a speech about the boat that was deleted. It's in the shooting draft, and we learned the boat's name. I oh, thought I would share it. Yeah. Please. Andy says, it's our sailboat, the Fancy Free, a historic Boston whaler, L-class. Well, it's very interesting that he says the name of the boat is the Fancy Free, because at the end of the episode, when it's sailing away, it has a completely different name. <laughs> yeah. It's called the Aspire 2. Probably because that was the actual boat name and we yes. couldn't touch it. Well, Andy says in this scene that the boat is a 43-foot tartan sloop. We rented this exact boat, a 43-foot tartan sloop. I didn't know what that was, so I looked it up. It is considered a medium-sized yacht. It's just, just barely medium. Like, up to 40 foot is still considered small, so this is at, like, the low end of medium yachts. Nowadays, the average cost of this boat is around $500,000. Holy moly. Yeah. So I guess that would be a condo and some living expenses. According to rightboat.com, the price oh, of the boat— Oh, wait, wait. Is this an according to the internet? Moment? Well, no, this is, this is according to a literal website. That's, see, that's the difference, Angela. You often just attribute your facts to the internet <laughs> without giving, like, a specific— It would be like if you wrote a bibliography for a school report and you just said according to the library. Well, I often go to multiple websites and I get the consensus. Mm-hmm. But, like, the tongue twister thing was nature.com. That was one, one spot. Yes. It just, it tickles me that you say according to the internet. According to the internet. (laughs) Yes. This is according to rightboat.com. See, I didn't look up multiple websites, so I want you to know if you disagree. It's not, this is not an internet consensus. This is rightboat.com. That's it. They said that the price of this boat can vary depending on the model, the finish, the engines, and they can actually cost as much as a million dollars. You know, yeah, if you've done it up real nice inside, maybe it's a million. Wowzers. But this website took me down a little bit of a rabbit hole because it listed what is the largest sailing yacht ever in the world. The largest one. Okay. I certainly don't know. It is called Sailing Yacht A. That's the name of it. 
They couldn't come up with a better name for the biggest boat, the biggest I, yacht. Sailing Yacht A. I know it's very wah, wah. bland. It cost $600 million. Get out. Mm-hmm. Does it come with a plane? No. What? Not that I saw. It's very secretive. There are very, very few photos of this yacht. There are a few of it from the exterior and almost no interior photos. It's very secret yacht. It is owned by a Russian billionaire named Andrei Melnichenko. It was designed by Philip Stark and built by a German company. The boat is 470 feet long. It can hold 20 guests and 54 crew members on eight decks. I can't believe this boat is so big, but it only holds 20 guests. Yeah, like what's inside it? Why aren't there pictures of the inside? What's running up that ticket number that's on the inside? That's what I want to know. I know. We should mom detective this. We, we should mom should. detective. If we'll we're, take a little we're... dinghy out in the ocean and... <laughs> Right. It's going to take a little bit of a road trip for this one. Where? How will we board this yacht? I don't know. Will we drop in from the air? Will we try to I dinghy mean, it? What do we do? It's very large. It's very large and it's expensive. I bet it has some anti-theft devices that we I don't want to encounter. So it's also like the outside of it. There's very little outdoor area. When I was looking at the pictures of it, you're very inside if you're in this boat And it also, like, it kind of looks like a skyscraper. Like, it's very smooth. It's like a metal building. So, like, if you tried to land on it, you would probably just slide off down the side into the water. There's very few opportunities to parachute onto it, for example, if we were thinking of doing that. I don't know. It's a boat bunker. Kind of. It has an underwater observation deck. So while you're in it, you can see stuff, I guess. And okay. um, here's the thing. Its top speed is 21 knots, which is just over 25 miles per hour. That's like a pontoon boat. You're going so slow So slow. In it. My Uncle Sonny used to get a pontoon boat, and we'd all get on it. We had a pontoon boat growing up. Yeah, we would rent this one, and you go like three miles an hour, it feels like. I love a pontoon boat. I love a pontoon. Next vacation, you and I. <laughs> a pontoon boat, I would be up I for would, it. Let me tell you, if we like had a little cooler, some snacks, maybe, you know, we're not driving an adult beverage on a pontoon boat on the lake, get out. So fun. So fun. My final fact about this boat, the Sailing Yacht A, so it cost $600 million to buy it, but it also costs $60 million per year to operate it, like its operating costs. It's just stupid. That's stupid. Sorry, boat owner. Sorry, Andre. Sorry, Andre. This seems very frivolous to me. <laughs> I don't know why that tickled me. But it is. It's so unnecessary. What do you need this boat for? I don't understand it. I don't understand anything about it. I don't understand yachting in general. We've talked about this. I know. We've talked about this. I don't get what's fun about it. I like to be on a boat, like a speedboat or on the lake or a pontoon boat. Yes, all those things I get. I like boating, 
but I just don't need to like yacht. Yeah. And you know what? It's a good thing because I can't afford it. So well, there we go. Jeez Louise at those prices. Shall we move on to the next scene? Yes, we are out in the bullpen. Oscar can see Angela and Kevin talking by the copy machine. It's jammed. Angela wonders if the day could get any worse. And Kevin's like, oh, it could. It could get a lot worse. Oscar calls over to Kevin. You know, he's just like, Kevin, stop. Mm-hmm. And Kevin pivots. Yeah, Kevin does okay. Angela, we got a fan question from Shaylee D. in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania, and it is for you. Okay, Shaylee, what's up? Shaylee says, Angela, your hair looks so pretty in this episode with the half up, half down side braid. Did you like this hairstyle and was it hard for Kim Ferry to do? Oh, Shaylee, I love this question. We got very excited this season about my hair. Um, Basically, I just told Kim I want to look pretty. (laughs) I don't want any severe ponytails if possible because I had this fun love triangle story between the senator and Oscar and Kim was great. I know I've shared this before, but Shaylee, Kim is a fantastic braider. She can do multiple different kinds of braids. You name the braid, she can do it. I also think she invented some braids. Like, she's oh. so good. She's so crafty with the yeah. hair. Yeah. Um, but we were talking about some kind of half up, half down situation. And she was like, what if I do the braids, you know, on the side? And then clip it in the back. And I was like, let's do it. And um, I love this look. I recently did the same hairstyle for my daughter for a friend's wedding. I love it. I think that this is so perfect because, like you said, Angela is now married to the senator. Mm -hmm. And so I could see her wanting to bump it up a little bit. But then the braid is still a nod to the Angela we know. Angela loves these braids. Yeah. It's such a great great hairstyle. And I noticed your hair in this episode, too. It's so cute. Well, thank you, Shaylee. Thank you, Jenna. Mm -hmm. Well, ultimately, Andy decides, you know what? We have to sell the boat. He's a little teary about it, but he decides to do it. Yeah. And meanwhile, the radio station calls Pam back and cancels the interview. There's actually this new cupcake place that's opening up at Steamtown Mall, and they're going to go cover that instead. So Nellie's going to go tell Dwight that the uh, interview is off, but Jim gets a little idea. Mm-hmm. A little bit of old Jim happening here, especially with Pam as his accomplice. They're going to prank Dwight. Yeah, Jim is working on a prank, and Aaron is working up a way to try and cheer up Andy mm-hmm. by putting watermelon teeth. She has, I guess, carved teeth out of like a watermelon rind or something? Is this something people do? I looked it up. I'm like, what is this? Is this a thing? Did you ever do this, Angela? I'd never heard of this. No, no. I think this is special for Erin. Okay. All right. She goes on to explain that a girlfriend needs to know how to cheer up her man. (laughs) And Andy is seriously juvenile. And then Pete has a really funny line where he's like, but he's like 40, right? (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) And Erin doesn't know how old he is. She's not sure. Well, unfortunately, when she walks into Andy's office, he is not amused. He No reaction. It did not work. Well, next up, we're going to move to this radio show prank. But should we take a break first and then we can really get into it? 
Yes, because when we come back, I have a fun moment between Dwight and Stanley and a deleted Stanley talking head. Woohoo! We are back, and Dwight is about to get all set up in the break room, ready for his interview. But right before he does, there's a fun moment between Dwight and Stanley that got deleted. Stanley says, hey, Dwight, be sure and tell Iris I said hello. I'm like, what? And then it cuts to a Stanley talking head. Apparently, Stanley really likes Iris. Let's hear it. Iris Black has not responded to one of my fan letters, but I know that she reads them. If you're watching this, Iris, I'm your number one fan. I remember this. Yeah. I remember it got a big laugh at the table read. Yeah. And Leslie really commits. He leans in. He's like, I'm your number one fan. Anyway, it just tickled me and I wanted to share it because I love when we peel back a little layer on a character. Mm -hmm. And now we all know that Stanley loves Iris Black. Well, in the conference room, we have our little fakey radio show going. Daryl is on his keyboard, and Nellie and Pam and Jim are all around the conference table. And um, it's time. It's showtime. Iris Black welcomes Dwight to BizWiz. Mm-hmm. And Catherine Tate does such a great job <laughs> as this character, Miss Black. I wanted to point out at five minutes and 51 seconds, I do not have my pink coffee mug anymore. Remember I said it broke during season nine? Oh. I think it was this episode, and I'm going to start having this new purple coffee mug. We're going to have to track it. Mm-hmm. We got a fan question from Alyssa H. in Mountain Home, Arkansas, who said... This is hands down one of my favorite scenes in the whole show, and I'd love to hear about how this scene came out and everything about it. And Juliana S. from Tallahassee, Florida said, in the group prank on Dwight, were you guys having phone calls off camera or strictly filming one side of the conversation? Well, I'll tell you guys, this was so complicated to shoot because we shot these scenes at the same time. We hired extra camera operators, and we had one crew back in the break room with Dwight. We had another crew with us in the conference room. This was all live. We filmed both sides at the same time. But John Krasinski, who was in the conference room, was directing this episode. So after we would do a couple of takes, we would have to stop so that John could watch the playback of what happened back in the break room. It was so complicated, but so smart because mm -hmm. this allowed you guys to react in the moment to anything spontaneous. Nothing felt contrived. It's all feeling so organic and fun. And it's one of the things I love about our show. Same. Agree. So skipping ahead a little bit as this radio interview continues, Iris Black manages to get Dwight to start throwing some shade at David Wallace, yeah. the CEO. Dwight doesn't mean to. And then they have a very funny bit where Steve, a.k.a. Jim, the sound engineer, says, you know what? We hear this clinking sound. I think it's from the buttons on your shirt. You're going to have to take that off. 
Yeah, and then they say, are you wearing pants with a metal zipper? Maybe you should take those off. And Dwight, of course, being Dwight, doesn't question it. Now he's removing his clothing for this interview. (laughs) Yeah. I want you to know there's a lot of, like, gesturing and, like, whispering between us during this scene, you know, Mm -hmm. where we're pranking Dwight. All of those little moments were scripted. Everything, like Pam looking at Jim and being like, no, it's too much. No. Or like the thumbs up or the thumbs down. All of that was meticulously listed in the script. You guys, though, crush it because it feels just so in the moment. Well, back in accounting, Kevin failed to order more 1188 forms, which really disappoints Angela. And she says, I don't know why I'm surprised. Nothing he could do could ever surprise me anymore. Kevin finds this very funny. Mm-hmm. He thinks, oh, yeah, I could surprise you. Oscar starts to panic. Oscar actually makes this noise. He's like, ah! <laughs> and then Kevin goes, I've got to go to the bathroom. And he, like, runs out of there. Yeah, Oscar explains that's actually not a bad cover story. You'd be surprised how often Kevin rushes out of the room to go to the bathroom. <laughs> and then there's a very funny montage where Kevin is just rushing to the bathroom in the middle of a conference room when the elevator doors open. My favorite is when he's running through the parking lot, kind of holding his tush. It just reminds me of a toddler. These montages are very funny, and we do them sometimes on the show. They are so tedious. Because every one of those little pops is a different wardrobe change. It's maybe a different hairstyle. Yeah. Yes. Like that little four seconds of montage took half a day. Yep. While all of this is going on, Aaron is still trying to cheer up Andy. And there was a scene between Aaron and Pete. It's very cute and flirty. And it sort of sets up Aaron's motivation to go invite Andy to go visit the boat and have lunch. Was this Pete's idea? You got to hear it. Okay. secret. Oh. My job is not very demanding. If you ever have an emergency or you need to take a depressed boyfriend out to lunch or something, let me know. I'll cover the phones for you. That is so nice of you. But do you know how to use the phone system? Are you kidding me? Check me out. Dunder Mifflin, this is Pete. Very good. Uh-huh. But what if you have to take a phone message? Play it on me. Take a pen. Mm-hmm. Take a piece of paper. Oh. Write down the message. Oh, oh I think there's... Dunder Mifflin, this is Aaron. It was really sweet when he says, oh, yeah, I got this. He picks up the wrong phone, is writing on the wrong thing, and then she is showing him how to write a note. But then there's an actual person calling and on the yeah, phone. Yeah, yeah. But it's really cute. But he's he's there for her. He's like, if you need to go cheer up Andy, I'll I'll cover you. Well, unfortunately, Andy's not interested. Yeah. But then Aaron has an idea he is interested in. Why don't we go sail that boat one time before you give it up? I don't care that it's in Stamford, Connecticut. We got to leave right now. But let's do it. Andy is so excited. I think it's a sweet idea. I do, too. To go say goodbye to the boat. Yeah. That's an important ritual. 
I think so. Well, the next scene might be the final straw for Kevin. Angela gets off the phone with the senator and says, oh, the senator's exhausted from the campaign. He's up against a man who's so dirty, and the senator keeps pushing back as hard as he can. Kevin's like, you have to stop. And then Angela says, last night, he was so tired, he just wanted a little Mexican brought in. Kevin is hysterical. It's too much for him. He leaves. I thought this scene was very funny, but I was a little bit distracted. Angela, we have a new local mug report. Oh. Kevin has a mug on his desk from Acker Drill Company. It was founded in 1916, and they're one of North America's largest manufacturers of drilling equipment worldwide. New local mug report. There you go. Mm -hmm. I had my eyes open for the mugs on this episode. Clearly, they were speaking to you. Yep. Well, right after Kevin rushes off, Oscar has a talking head where he says, I'm in big trouble. And then Kevin has a talking head where he says, Oscar's in big trouble. (laughs) And Oscar's going to do something very unethical. He's got this folder. A sabotage folder. Yes. It has, I guess, information about Kevin not doing his job well. He's going to take it back to Toby. And we had a fan question from Jasmine B. In southern Manitoba, Jasmine said, why does Toby start wearing glasses all of a sudden? He continues to wear glasses for a time after this episode. Was this intentional or did Paul just start wearing glasses and nobody cared? Jasmine, correct. Paul needed to start wearing glasses, so we just put them on Toby. We never discuss it. It just happened. Paul had always had glasses and... I think he just decided to start wearing them. Yeah, I think it kind of tracks, though. I could see Toby as a character suddenly coming into the office with glasses and not a single person mentioning it. Yeah. (laughs) So I think it's very realistic that we never refer to these sudden glasses. Well, as Toby analyzes this Kevin folder, he's like, wow, Kevin's gambling problem has resurfaced. You know what? I'm going to have to send Kevin home until I can investigate further. So Toby summons Kevin. Mm -hmm. Kevin's actually excited. He thinks he's getting a promotion. I know. I know. Oscar feels bad. Yeah. We had a fan catch from Ashley S. in California, who said at 11 minutes and 14 seconds, Oscar has a yellow sunburst sticker on his side of the partition between Kevin and Angela's desks. It's right above a framed portrait of a dog. Is that sticker from Tobin James Sellers? It is a winery in Paso Robles, California, and it looks identical to their logo. I live in Paso Robles and was so excited to see it. Well, Ashley, I did a little side-by-side. Oh, I love a side-by-side. I know, I love a side-by-side as well. Angela, I think Ashley is correct. What do you think? Oh, yeah. Right? My theory is that Oscar Nunez put that there. That Me too. Me that too. Is a, that is a framed photo of his dog. Mm-hmm. And maybe he went wine tasting. He just put the sticker there when he got to work. Great catch, Ashley. When Toby is speaking to Kevin, he is quickly interrupted by Oscar, who gives Kevin some money to go get something out of the vending machine. And he fesses up to Toby that it's not true. It's just not true. He falsified the numbers, and he did it. He set him up. 
because he was annoyed. They had an argument. He was trying to get back at him. You know what? It doesn't even matter what Oscar's saying to Toby about Kevin, because all Toby's doing is thinking back to that case with the Scranton Strangler. He's like, oh, no, I suspected this all along. A few years ago when I was on the Scranton Strangler jury, I thought he had been set up. I felt pressure to convict. I put away an innocent man. He's not even really listening to what Oscar is saying. No, he heard the word set up and it triggered. It just triggered this fear that the Scranton Strangler was actually set up mm-hmm. and that he convicted the wrong person. And here he almost did it again, right? He yeah. almost convicted yeah. Kevin of a false crime. Yeah. He can't let this keep happening in his life. Listen, lady, if you thought I was only going to track two mugs in this episode, I've got news for you. Another mug? Yes, this time it is with the help of Shelby P. from Louisville, Kentucky, who said, when Oscar comes back to Toby's desk, there is a yellow NBC mug on Toby's desk. It's very clearly in the shot. Did Paul leave this there by mistake, or was this an on-purpose nod to NBC? Well, Shelby, it was an NBC mug, but it was for the local Scranton station of NBC, WBRE. I love a local station shout out. Mm-hmm. And we also got this tidbit, Ange, from Jessica J. in St. Paul, Minnesota, who said, I just want to say that I'm mad at Oscar for being willing to get Kevin fired in order to keep his own betrayal a secret. And when he came clean to Toby, he didn't even get in trouble for it. Jessica, I kind of thought the same thing. But Toby's spinning out about the Scranton Strangler. Exactly. Toby's in his head about his own stuff. And so Oscar skates free on this one. Here's my question, and this is, I'm going to open up a convo about it. A conflab. Conflab? What's a conflab? It's like a, a conversation where you discuss something. It's from that TV show Glow Up. It's the makeup challenge show yeah. from England. They have a conflab. Oh, a flabby yeah. convo. Let's go. Yeah. Okay. So here's my conflab. Do you think that Oscar fabricated the numbers in that folder, or do you think that they were real? Because I think he really has been keeping a folder on Kevin, maybe in case he ever needed to defend himself or the company against some sort of, I don't know. You know what I mean? And he handed, I don't think he like sat down and made this up. I think this is a secret file folder that Oscar has been keeping. 100%. Oscar is a great accountant. He's seen all the discrepancies on Kevin's side of the desk. And he's been keeping tabs to cover his own ass and has that folder ready to play it when he needs it. But he never thought he would play it for personal reasons. That's right. Okay, good. We agree. Conflab over. Conflab done. I think we should go back and take a peek into uh, Dwight's interview. He's nude. He's in the break room. uh, He has on underwear. I'm sorry. He has on his green underwear, which is his favorite. His green tidy whities Yes. Yeah. Dwight is really upset because Iris Black says, you know what? We have found out that this paper is toxic. Dunder Mifflin paper is toxic. And Dwight's like, no. This is slanderous. And he says, I need a credible source. And guess what? Iris just happens to have the New York foreman, Sandra Mick, on the line. Jenna, this character is hilarious. Yeah. 
How did you come up with her voice? It's so raspy. You sound like you've been chain smoking for years. This was hilarious. With the minute you opened your mouth, I forgot. I forgot about Sandra Mick. I hadn't seen this episode since it aired. And when Nellie throws this to you and then you open your mouth and speak, I was like, what? Lady, I was as surprised as you were by the voice that came out of my mouth. Everybody in the room was shocked. You look surprised. You then, you kind of do this thing with your hand where you go like, <clears throat> oh. <laughs> like, yes, I got some phlegm stuck in my throat when I went to do this, and it created this weird, raspy voice. The script did not specify any accent. It just said, Pam speaks, voice passably disguised. It was very disguised. I yes. would never know that was you yeah. or Pam. The paper is not toxic. Yeah. Unless it's exposed to oxygen, then it's very toxic. Which, at the same time, I thought was very quick for Pam. I yes. was like, oh, that's a good point. Dwight yes. would believe that. Yes. Jim is going to barge in and tell Dwight that their stock prices are plummeting. Yes. And Jim says, you know what? Do we need to get someone who understands the media? And Dwight says, get out. Get out of the room. Their little tussle in the break room cracked me up. See, this is the thing. These are the early days of the office for me. Well, there was a really fun moment while all that was happening in the background, which was pointed out by Lauren W. from Alberta, Canada, and Emily M. from Brisbane, Australia, who said that they loved that in this scene, if you look in the background, Kevin is eating a snack and he has also removed all of his clothes. Yes, I saw that too. I loved it. Such a fun detail. I feel like the minute he walked in, Dwight is like this, like snapping at him, like, take it off, take it off, take it off. Yes. If you're gonna say if you're gonna be in here, you gotta take all that off. Yes, exactly. Exactly. Well, next up, Aaron and Andy, they're going to the marina. Oh, yes, they are. They had a bunch of driving sequences that we filmed that didn't make it into the episode. In one of them, they sing a song, and it's very clear that Andy has taught this song to Aaron. Let's hear it. There's New Canaan, New London. It's where we get our fun done. There's Westport and Southport. A lot to fill your mouthport. And what's that in my daybook? Don't forget old Saybrook. And, and those now, are the towns of Connecticut. <laughs> oh, punch buggy, blue. No more punch buggy. <laughs> Isn't that so funny? It cracked me up. But that's what they were singing on the way to the marina. And no more punch buggy, lady. I hated punch buggy. <laughs> I don't want to get punched in the arm. I don't want to. Erin really likes it, and she really punches Auntie. <laughs> I hated that game. I also didn't enjoy hitting people. It, just, it wasn't the game for me. I remember it from childhood. <laughs> well, when they get to the marina, Andy's boat is truly magnificent. It's so much bigger and more beautiful than Aaron had ever imagined. Yeah, Aaron says, wow, this is how his family came to America. Yeah. They came on this boat. <laughs> As they approach the boat, there's a man, a very grumpy man, who's loading items onto the boat. And he, uh, this is Andrew Santino, and Mm -hmm. he has a line that is my favorite line from maybe the whole episode. Oh, tell me. He says, I'm not a ghost, so I can't walk through people. (laughs) He's so grumpers. He's so grumpers. A couple of things about this scene. At 13 minutes and seven seconds, you can see a man in the background with a black hat. 
That was Kelly Cantley's sailing buddy, Jeff Charlin. He was our, like, background actor on the dock. You see him here, and then you also see him at the end of the episode. He helps them cast off at the end as they're sailing away. Now, I asked Steve Burgess, when they got out there, was there a problem at all in shooting, like, with people noticing that here's John Krasinski and Ed Helms and Ellie Kemper and Josh Groban on the dock? Like, that's kind of a powerhouse group right there. And he said that our production was pretty contained, and we had actually rented the boat slips around the boat that we were shooting on, and we used those to store our equipment and all that kind of stuff. So in our immediate area, it was all us, but there were some people who were on top of a hill nearby who were just gathered and watching, but they didn't interfere at all. But there was something that greatly interfered with the shooting all Can day I guess? long. Can I yes. guess? Seagulls? Not seagulls. Sea lions. Oh, sea lions. There was a group of sea lions that would not stop barking. Oh, oh they're so yes. loud. Yes. And when I was trading messages with Andrew, he mentioned them as well. He said the biggest challenge about shooting this episode was not the boat. It wasn't anything like that. It was these sea lions. And you can't, it's like, Something that happens when you're shooting a show, like let's say you're shooting at a house and then the person next door decides to get out their leaf blower. You mm-hmm. walk over, you have someone walk over and be like, hey, do you mind doing this another time? And, you know, uh, here's a hundred bucks. It's actually very common. People purposely get out their leaf blowers and so that they'll get lawnmowers a so cash. that they can get a little hundred bucks. So, but you can't slip a sea lion a hundred bucks or like- no. Throw them some fish? I don't know what you do to make them be quiet. I don't know. I think if you throw them fish, they're just going to come back and say, hey, I want more. Yes, exactly. So that was the biggest challenge of shooting out on the boat. Well, Andy is feeling very nostalgic. He tells Aaron when he was a kid, it was his job to raise the main sail. Mm -hmm. And Aaron says, oh, I wish I could have seen that. So Andy is like, okay. And he starts to raise the sail. And here comes Grumpy Sailor Man. Says you got to stop that. Yeah, he keeps smacking Andy's hand. Every time he tries to raise the sail, he smacked his hand. I asked Andrew if he had a most memorable moment while he was shooting this episode, and he actually mentioned this scene. Here's a clip. I did mess up. I was so nervous. I messed up a few times. I smacked Ed Helms with the wrong hand, blocking the camera like an idiot. And I did it about three or four times, and I think... Krasinski laughed it off and Helms was very cool about it. Everyone was very nice, but they could tell I was green and I was uh, scared. I was a little scared because it was a big deal. But that was memorable that I kept screwing up and Ed Helms was being patient. But every time I did, another bead of sweat would drop down my forehead and the makeup would have to run in and dab it down because I think I was just, I was a little nervous. And I was so hot in the sweater because in the basement of the boat there, in the hull, as it were, yeah, it was piping hot. And there was there's no AC or anything. Uh, but I was warm. I think we shot it in the fall, maybe. I don't really remember, uh, unfortunately, um, because of alcohol. But I was very warm. Well, I can tell you why you were warm. We were filming in September, which we all know is our hottest month here. But you said it was only 76 degrees. 77 was the high. Mm-hmm. But, you know, if you're in the hull of the boat with no air... I'm sure that feels like with a heavy sweater on. 88 degrees. Yeah, that's true. Well, Andy has not been allowed to raise the sail, but I guess 
grumpy sailor man is going to let them have lunch down below deck. We got a very interesting fan question from Julia D. in Redmond, Washington, who said, When Andy and Aaron are eating lunch on the boat, the pickles on Andy's sandwich have been taken off. Does Ed Helms not like pickles, or was this a character choice? Julia, I'm so glad you asked. I went back to the script. The top of this scene was deleted. Here are the two lines that were cut. Aaron says, it's cozy in here. Andy, grumpy, says, these little pickles are gross. (laughs) So I guess the scene started. With Andy picking pickles off his sandwich. sandwich. There's a tongue twister. There's a tongue twister. Picking pickles. Picking pickles off his sandwich. Mm Mm-hmm. Erin is trying to cheer him up again. She says, you know what? You don't have to sail the boat in order to be a man. As far as she's concerned, he's the captain. This gives Andy an idea. He wants to take over the boat. He wants to be the captain. He wants to take the boat to the Bahamas. And he's like, look, dude, keep your deposit, leave the supplies, but also I want that sweater. So, lady, this sweater was like a second character in this episode. We got so much mail about this sweater. First of all, Johnny A. from Seattle, Washington said, I have waited an embarrassingly long time to ask this question. I have no good reason to know this, but the sweater that Andrew Santino is wearing which Andy compliments and wants to buy, is the exact same sweater that Brock Lovett wears in the Titanic. What? It's in the scene when Old Rose is telling her story to the crew. If you Google Brock Lovett, you will see it. I need that side by side. Oh, lady, I've got it for you. Three mugs and two side by sides is what I'm about for this episode. Here it is. What do you think? I mean, it looks very similar. I also feel like I've seen this sweater on Ed Sheeran. Yes. This must be a type of sweater. You know, like (laughs) there's like a cable knit sweater or there's like a something knit or a something not. The fisherman sweater. Yes. Yes. But um, it looks like the same sweater to me. So, yes, Johnny A from Seattle. I agree. Also, Tyler B from Port Townsend said, I hope you guys can ask Andrew Santino if he really took that sweater. Well, I did ask him, Tyler. He did not keep the sweater. He's bummed about it, too. (laughs) Yes, he's bummed about it. But I did ask him, what was the response from him being on The Office? And here's what he said. Many people have reached out and said, you're the meanest guy ever on The Office. So I obviously did a good job. People hate me because of that. So I did a good job being a mean bully. That was the whole gig. Uh, I got some hate from the office diehard fans online, but it was hate love. They loved because they hated me. They loved that they hated me. And it was so fun and a wonderful experience. I'm sad I didn't get to work with you. Obviously, you're, you're the most talented actor on the show by a landslide. Second to Angela, of course, who is more talented than you. I should have said that first. I don't know why I did it in that order, but um, it was a privilege and an honor to be a part of it. And now I'm a part of history. And it's wonderful to have that in my resume for the rest of my life. And so, yeah, i uh proud to be a little tiny blip on the uh, historic Goliath that was The Office. Hmm. Thank you, Andrew. <laughs> I know, Andrew. There you go, um, Angela. You're the most talented. Thank and you. I'm I the know. The second most talented. 
<laughs> that, that made me chuckle. You guys, Andrew was so kind and wonderful sending these clips while he was on his cross-country drive. Um, we don't know that for sure. Maybe an airplane. We don't, He's we don't going know. somewhere. You're traveling, Andrew, in our minds. And we are going to share your podcast and our stories. Thank you so much for taking the time to share your experience on The Office. Yes. You know, his podcast with Bobby Lee called Bad Friends, they're currently on tour. You can go to their website, badfriendspod.com, to get tickets. Canada, they're coming your way. Arizona, Las Vegas, badfriendspod.com. Thank you, Andrew. We'll put that in stories. Yeah, I'll do a swipey. Back in the conference room, things are heating up. Iris Black is reporting that the Greenwich police have surrounded the home of a despondent David Wallace. I guess he's taken the mailman hostage. Jim is going to play the chief of the police department, Bill Jackson. Dwight is begging them to take mercy on Wallace, and he's going to call David himself and conference David in. Yes. Pam, Nellie, Daryl, and Jim are like their expression at this moment of like, oh, my God, he's calling David Wallace. And he does. He gets David Wallace on the phone. He's like, David, are you okay? He's like, yes, I'm okay. Dwight is telling him, like, I believe in you. I know you can make the the right choices. Let the mailman go. David doesn't quite know what's going on, but he's like, thank you, Dwight, for calling me. Please don't call me on my cell anymore. David Wallace always has the best responses. Like, if anyone wanted to show receipts on him, he was appropriate Mm -hmm. and to the point and nothing more. Well, this ends the radio show, and it ends this whole drama. Dwight emerges into the bullpen. Everyone is chanting for him. Victorious. He saved the day. Amazing. Dwight has a talking head where he says, overall, this first radio interview went pretty much as he expected. <laughs> That's about what, how he thought it would go. Good Lord. <laughs> you know, back on the boat, Aaron is a little bit concerned Is Andy really capable of sailing this boat for 10 days by himself? And he tells her, listen, you know what? I know how to hoist the sail. I can use all those buttons. Mm -hmm. And I know where the booze stash is. And he opens the door to find Walter Jr. passed out with all the booze around him. Yep. And he says, Walter Jr., you're going to be my crew. We're going to have some serious bro time. They're the Nard Bros. So that seals the deal. It's going to be Andy and Walter Jr. They're setting off. Aaron is left back on the dock. The boat is floating away. Andy calls out to Aaron, I'll see you in three weeks. And then Walter Jr. starts playing the guitar, and he's playing the beginning to more than words. And Andy goes, them's my chords. And that's the last thing he says to Aaron. And this is when you can see that the boat is actually named Aspire 2. I think that might be why we had to cut that earlier Andy talking head. Oh, yeah, because the name isn't the same. The name does not match. You know, Kelly Cantley said that Ed had to take a lesson in boat handling so that he could motor away from the dock. It really is him driving. I saw this in the call sheets, lady. It said that Ed and Josh Groban both had to go to like a little sailing instruction. Yeah. Kelly said this was not uncomplicated because they had to have a big talk about the predicted wind direction. 
the sun position and time of day that they would be motoring away from the dock and all of these things figured into when they shot this particular moment because they wanted Andy to sail in a good direction for camera. You know, they had to be sure that he would be lit mm-hmm. well, what was in the background, all of it. It was so many this little moment. Yeah. Yes. So much planning. Well, Aaron is going to have a talking head. You know, she's happy she could help Andy. Would she have liked to have gone maybe on a cruise to the Caribbean with him if she asked? Yes. That would have been fun and romantic. She's clearly stung a little that she did all this work to cheer him up, and he just ditched her and went off once again. Well, we have a hot take to discuss. Oh, I love a hot take. Is it a spicy take? Is it spicy and hot or just hot? Just hot take. Oh, okay. It's from Jess M. in Virginia. Okay. Jess says, Erin says she would have loved to have been on the romantic boat trip with Andy. However, Andy clearly said that he needed time bonding with his brother, and his brother clearly needed it too. Their family has just imploded, and he and his brother have never had a good relationship, so them needing alone time to bond is not a bad thing. I know that this is supposed to be one of the examples of Andy being a bad boyfriend, but I stand by it not being a bad thing for him to not take Aaron. So Jess doesn't think that Andy was obligated to invite Aaron on this trip. What do we think? Well, I agree with Jess that these two brothers have just been through a lot. And they probably both need each other right now. And I think that's a good thing. I just think, once again, Andy doesn't finesse things well. He didn't have a moment where he was like, hey, thanks so much. I've seen how hard you've been trying to cheer me up. And the idea to come to the boat was yours. And this was so great. And I love you. But I'm, I'm hurting. And so is my brother. And I think we need this time together. And I hope you understand. Yes, I agree. If he had just said that, you know. Because I think the fact that he's going on this trip with just his brother is totally appropriate, but he did it very selfishly, selfishly the way, yes, mm-hmm. and like very self-centered. He didn't consider mm-hmm. Aaron's feelings in any of it, which is why he's a bad boyfriend. But again, if you and I wrote these episodes, they would be like a dramedy. Yes. <laughs> We'd have these big relationship monologues. I know. Exactly. Well, back at the office, Kevin comes back to their little desk clump and he says, Oscar, there's no promotion. Toby just wanted to update my personal information. Angela is very amused by this. She's very tickled at the idea that Kevin would even think he would get a promotion. And she's really rude to him. And Kevin is about to fire back. But then who walks up but the state senator? Mm hmm. He had a feeling that someone that he loves needed attention today. And then he puts his hand on Oscar's shoulder, and Oscar recoils like, oh, like he's been burned or something. And Angela's like, what is that all about? And Oscar says, you know what? I'm just, I'm stressed out. Yeah, and Kevin is like, guys, guys, are we seriously gonna sit here and just ignore the obvious? Oh, Oscar's Oscar's face. so nervous. And Kevin says, Senator Lipton has a big election next week. Guys, he needs our support. And he starts leading everybody in a chant of USA. It cuts to an Oscar talking head and he says, 
you know, I have to say, I'm impressed with Kevin. Yeah. And then Kevin has a talking head and he says, I totally forgot about the affair. (laughs) Yeah, just for a few minutes. Yeah. There was an alt for Kevin's talking head in the candy bag alts. And I want to read it. Here it is. Kevin says, okay, I made it through the day. All I have to do now is make it through tomorrow and then every day until the senator divorces Angela and comes out of the closet and resigns from politics. If he can do that by this weekend, that would be best. I hope he does that stuff tomorrow. (laughs) That's great. Oh, those are both good ones. Mm -hmm. Well, Erin is going to return to the office. Why? Why did she come back to the office? Why didn't she just go home? Why did she do this? Because she had to have a really cute interaction with Pete, who is still sitting at reception manning the phones. Why hasn't he gone home? I don't know. Well, we know why he's at front reception. And they have this cute little moment where he invites her out for drinks to poor Richards. Mm -hmm. And she says yes. She says okay. Mm. Romance. Romance. New romance. New romance romance. Mm-hmm. We've been rooting for this one for a while. Well, there you have it, everyone. That's the boat. A big thank you to Andrew Santino for sending in those audio clips and also to Steve Burgess and Kelly Cantley. And to you all for sending in your questions and comments, those great background catches. We just love them all. We hope you guys have a great week and we will see you next Wednesday with The Whale. I really like that one. See you then. Bye. Bye. Thank you for listening to Office Ladies. Office Ladies is produced by Earwolf, Jenna Fisher, and Angela Kinsey. Our senior producer is Cassie Jerkins. Our in-studio engineer is Sam Kiefer. Our editing and mixing engineer is Jordan Duffy. And our associate producer is Ainsley Bubico. Our theme song is Rubber Tree by Creed Bratton. 